Welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low-dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. Thank you for joining us. Uh, this is the ulcers, uh, the apoth of I can't even say it today. My, my, I've been teaching all day and I've just done this and I'm like, ah, the ulcers. We know that that's sort of a uh, viral event. We know that we can get really good traction with, auto, um, with an, uh, just a corticosteroid. We're seeing people who are getting them chronically who are able to use this, but it's not going to be a rescue med. It's not going to have that really rapid response necessarily in the same way. But what I'm seeing from Nat, I might do a combination therapy um, and doing like putting it in, say, a mucoadhesive base where we're able to just apply it along with an antiviral, maybe something that's going to moisturize and protect it a little bit. So we would do something like that. But does it have a role? A little bit because we know it's involved, but I'd be more looking at the chronic patients, not the um, out of nowhere event where you're getting it on your tongue or on the inside of your, your lips. So. Yeah, it's how chronic are they is the better question. If they're not chronic, does it have a rule? Maybe. Will it hurt? No. Will it cost a little bit? Yes. Um, if they're chronic, I would definitely put them on because that'll actually resolve some of those immune sort of imbalance that's allowing it to occur. But also throw in some vitamin D. So, What do you think about um, geographic tongue with LDN? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know enough about it. I was actually thinking about it. I'm like, I don't know enough that I would actually have to go research and then I can come back and give an answer to Linda and then she can send it out to the group. I just, I just honestly don't know enough. Could you tell us some frequently asked questions that you have? Uh, your brain what did. Is, <laughs> what is the dose that you, what is your recommended dosing schedule? Um, and I've been harping on this one now, and I think Nat's heard me talk about this, and a couple of our attendees may have heard this. I'm really pushing for initiation at a half milligram and titrating up by every seven days by a half milligram at a time. And I know the LDN Research Network Trust has got a really good dosing protocol, and I'm stepping out of line, mainly because I just really want to make sure that we hit the right dose without overshooting. And I'm just seeing more and more patients, especially the long hauler COVID patients, um, not necessarily needing as much as 4.5. And like I said, 60 to 70% of the patients, they're getting a good response, but maybe we'd still optimize that dose. And so this is the patient-specific response. This is why a good compounding pharmacy is so important to the mix and making sure that the compounding pharmacy isn't um, just, yep, take it and go. No, we want to have that relationship between the, uh, the clinician the provider and the patient that we can really and truly find that optimum dose. So I'm being asked, where do you start? And I always start 0.5. You can give a bunch of one milligrams and a bunch of half milligrams and they can kind of add different doses, but it's all really specific to that patient response. If they're starting to see really exaggerated side effects or a worsening of their condition, too much, back down, back down. 
We also get asked for doses for all kinds of disease states too, right? You know, what do you take? How much do you dose this or how do you dose that? And and it always, it depends on, um, I think the disease state, and it also depends on, does the patient have, you know, decreased quality of life or comorbidities involved with their disease, right? So if you've got somebody who's got a chronic disease and it's killing their quality of life and they may not be clinically depressed, but they have depressive like symptoms, then I think adding a daytime dose is a huge benefit because it can, if you split that out as a separate dose, not related to their autoimmune disease or their, their pain control, if you will, um, then you can also affect quality of life nicely. So, uh, for example, I have um, a patient to, we, we titrated in, they were, they were on, um, they were on, they tried 4.5 and they had fibromyalgia. They tried 4.5, really didn't see any changes early on. But when they added the daytime dose, they saw improvement in their quality of life. They felt better. Mood was better. And, and if, you're, if you think you feel better and your mood's better, then that you know, attitude's everything kind of thing. I've also got, you know, de- depending on, the, on what we're treating, I've got a, a one post-traumatic stress syndrome patient who's on a milligram twice a day and doing fabulous at a milligram twice a day. So it doesn't always take as much to see the response um, in, depending on the disease. So it's, it's how, where do you start? Well, I'm, I'm with Sebastian. I always started a half milligram. I, t- I think half milligram increments. Although I gotta be candid with you. When I first started doing naltrexone back around 2010, I can't remember exactly when I first started dispensing it, but um, we were doing 1.53 and 4.5. I didn't get a lot of flack from hardly anybody. I had one or two people that couldn't take it at bedtime because of the, the sleep disturbance or the dream, vivid dreams and that sort of thing. We just switched into daytime dose and it seemed to take care of the problem. Um, so, uh, other than that, I, I never saw a massive amount of adverse events, although they do occur. Right. Yep. And, but if you're going up in half milligram increments, then you can recognize it as it happens. You can back up a notch and go, okay, let's stay here for a little while and see what happens. You know, um, like we keep telling everybody in our lectures, it's not a race to 4.5. Right. So, um, yep. yeah. And, I, and I, I kind of the extension of that is 4.5 is a very fuzzy target. Um, some patients will do better with more. Some patients will do better with less. It's just kind of like, let's, let's aim there, but let's see where you, where you land. Um, it's like an arrow shot where we're kind of looking at the target, but we know it's going to arc up and over. So now I, I also have to say, um, I actually got a private message, which was, hey, what are we doing with our slides? So Linda, I'm actually pitching this question to you. Um, some people are going to request the slides and they're just wondering... Is, are they going to be made accessible to anyone after the lecture? They are. No pressure. I, I'm totally fine with you sharing any of my slides. Um, this is your program and it's your, your decision. Okay. Are you happy, Nat? Absolutely. No problem. Be glad okay. to share. Yeah. There's another question just popped up if one of you would like to answer it. I think it's probably it's about a chronic wound. Yeah, for chronic wounds, I mean, we've done, it, we've done it topically a lot. Both Sebastian and I have used naltrexone. In fact, I was just talking to a pharmacist down in Georgia today, and and they were seeing um, they kind of stalled out on closure of the wound, and when they added naltrexone in it, it closed up almost immediately. Um, we we're doing like a half a percent or less in a lot of the wound uh, formulations, but it depends on what else is going on with the wound. It, as, a, as a single standalone ingredient, I don't usually use it as a single standalone um, as Sebastian mentioned earlier, when you see patients, because of that SNP and there were TLR4 receptors and the genetic predisposition, you don't know who's going to respond well, who's not going to respond well. We've actually seen a few patients uh, when they're treating, you know, topically that to get some um, paradoxical inflammation from it, right? 
So we mm -hmm. try to make sure that I think that oral is always the safest route to go, just saying from a uh, reduced adverse event perspective um, and to get the immune modulation. Cause a lot of times wound uh, closure is hard, especially in older patients because their, their immune system's not as happy. Their hormones are not as happy. It's kind of hard to close a wound if you don't have adequate androgens on board. So it's a bigger picture thing for a lot of people. And, and I'm going to roll along with this one for any chronic wounds. Um, you, orally works extremely well. We've seen patients using things topically. Um, and it, it really and truly depends upon the patient and what success you're having. So the nice flexibility within the group that of, of compounding pharmacists is um, this way doesn't work. Well, we, we, ha we always have an option. We have a cream for that or we have a capsule for that. Take your pick, but we can, we can adjust to the patient's best outcome at the end of the day. I have to say when I started LDN 18 and a half years ago, the dosing protocol then was three milligrams for a month and then you go up to 4.5. That, that was it. You know, you, you had to get to 4.5. And as you can imagine, the dropout rate was quite high mm -hmm. because two milligrams was going to be the right dose for some people, never even getting to the three milligrams that you had to start <laughs> on. Um, I have so many people who will call me and say they did fantastically on two milligrams. And as they went up to 4.5, they felt worse. So I might as well give up because 4.5 doesn't suit me. To try and explain that if your two milligrams worked really well for you, that is where you should be. You know, you shouldn't be trying to get to 4.5. But yeah. some people read everything on the internet and take it for gospel that 4.5 is the dose that everybody should aim for, but it isn't. So everything you've been saying is just so good to hear. <laughs> Well, unless that, that dosage recommendation came from Abraham Lincoln, I don't think I'd follow it either, you know, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Even then, we, we've evolved and we know so much more. So maybe it's something that we can work together. And I would, I would love to be, and I know Nat would love to be. And by the way, I, I have to give a shout out. We've got a few people who are on this call and I, I recognize their names. So Kevin, Michelle, like, and a few others. Um, it is an absolute pleasure because I'm actually learning from my colleagues who are actually doing this clinically and they call me up and they're like, this is what we're doing. This is what we've seen. Mm -hmm. So it, it's not necessarily my patients. It's a shared collective of what we're all doing. So everyone in the LDN Research Network Trust is always contributing. And, and I'm glad we're refining this information because I think we're going to reach more patients and, and uh, get better, better outcomes at the end of the day. So it's, it's great. So if you hear something and you care to share, please let Linda or ourselves know and we're, we're, we're always advocates for that patient outcome and, and getting better, always getting better. That's the goal. Like you say, it's sharing, isn't it? Not keeping the information yep. to yourself, it's sharing it. And there are so many good doctors who are willing to help and support other doctors and share their experience with them. Um, Dr. Leonard Weinstock, is a, a very good example. He's a gastroenterologist and he knows he's one doctor and he can only treat so many patients. But if he can help educate other doctors, you know, mm -hmm. look how many more patients are going to be treated. So you know, sharing the knowledge is key. So one last one, can I mix naltrexone tablets in orange juice or water? 
Um, right now, what we're seeing in the compounding world is that there's a, a difference in um, opinion with respect to whether or not it can be done. Certainly it is done, but what we find is uh, dosing can actually be really variable. Um, and there's also some requirements in pharmacies are actually being, they're being tied to beyond use states that are different in different countries. And so we want to really point out the recommendation, it, it's kind of falling away, especially with these patients who are trying to dose titrate and they're like, I got to get this much into me. Very inaccurate. And if you're looking for really good clinical outcomes, uh, work with your healthcare provider, work with the compounding pharmacy and find the best resolution for you. But really and truly, um, that was an old school way of getting it done, but we've got so much more access to it. And so again, as a clinical pharmacist, we're always talking about accuracy, precision, and consistency. So for best outcomes for you as a patient, um, find a good compounding pharmacy that can support your needs and uh, work, work with them because if they're good, they will work with you, I promise. Okay, another really good question. Can I buy LDN on the internet? without a prescription? Well, you can buy something on the internet without a prescription, but I don't know if it's LDN. <laughs> Legally, can you do it in the United States and Canada? The answer is no. No. But yes, it's illegal in England, but people still buy it. And our medicines regulatory body, the um, MHRA, it was something several years ago now, and they were saying that 84%, I believe, of um, drugs that were shipped into the UK work actually counterfeit. You know, a um, large percentage were harmless. Um, they were just fillers. They, they didn't have any active ingredient, but some of them were actually lethal. You know, so I always say to people, I wouldn't play Russian roulette with my life. You know, I wouldn't take something. If you're buying a prescription only drug, online it's not past any safety checks quality checks or anything you have no idea what you're buying and it's a, a complete no-no and we don't also recommend people buying the 50 milligram tablets or obtaining the uh, 50 milligram tablets and diluting them themselves because again you've got filler you've got all different particles how can you accurately measure a small dose how do you know what you're getting you know if you want to do it properly you really need to as um, sebastian said work with a compounding pharmacy and and get the right um product to start with to then titrate up and do it properly absolutely yep. yeah it's the only way to do it isn't it yes at this point if it requires a prescription in your country that you're you're in, it requires a prescription regardless of where you purchase it. If you're buying it off the internet without a prescription, I it, it's like what happened for a while. People trying to buy uh, Viagra on the internet. <laughs> yeah, the number of counterfeit um, drugs seized because they were they were not legally obtained. And yeah, eighty four percent. It's it's the numbers are staggering, and people think if it's cheap, it's still good. No, 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 no. There's regulations in place for this. Okay. Well, thank you both so much. It was very, very entertaining. Any questions or comments you may have, please email me 
linda, L-I-N-D-A, at ldnrt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.